Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Shiva Rajkapal, the Kester and Burns Professor of Accounting and Auditing at Columbia Business School. Professor Rajkapal is a co-author of a recent research paper entitled Competitive Target Pay Practices or CEO Compensation. Welcome back, Professor. It's always a pleasure and a learning experience for me every time you join us on our podcast. You're just too kind, Jeff. I think we like each other. That's why you have me as many times as you do. At least I hope. Professor, your new paper examines what you describe as a competitive pay policy for public company executive compensation. Can you describe for our listeners and provide some actual examples of what you mean by the term competitive pay policy and how common are competitive pay policies for executives at public companies? So I think the term competitive pay policy comes from compensation consultants. And I think what they mean by that is, let's say that Jeff Mahoney is the CEO of a company with revenues of, say, $50 billion. What is the competitive pay to make sure that we compensate Jeff Mahoney well? And how do they figure that out? As you know, they run these benchmarking surveys. So they go and look at other CEOs in the industry, similar size, and they say, come up with a number. It should be $15 million. All that sounds innocuous and it's fine. The problem arises in the following sense. It's a subtle issue. So if you look at the extreme right column, when we look at total compensation for a CEO, first of all, you won't see a lot of variation, right? It'll be 15 million, 16 million, 14 and a half million or something over the last three years. So when people say things like 80% of our pay is at risk or 85% of the pay is at risk, shouldn't you see more variation in that number? You don't. So that's the first red flag to me. And then when you push this further, how is that number figured out? Every year they go and benchmark you know, what a CEO of a company of a similar size in the same industry should make. And the dollar number, by and large, is frozen with some variation. Not a lot, but some variation. And as you know, roughly 60-odd percent of the total dollar comp number is maybe equity. So they start giving out relatively dollar-frozen equity comp every year. So the idea then becomes, let's say you have a a company where stock prices are going up, say Walmart. The Walmart CEO, because of this relatively frozen dollar equity idea, ends up getting fewer shares. And the opposite happens in the oil industry, which I love as as a counterexample. In 2020, during COVID and so on, oil was doing horribly. So if you have relatively frozen dollar equity numbers for an oil CEO, As oil prices fall and as oil stock prices fall, the oil CEO is going to get more and more shares. And then oil is, again, a great example to follow through. Post-COVID, post-recovery, post-Ukraine, oil has doubled or tripled or quadrupled in value. Oil stock prices have gone up. And this CEO is effectively sitting on a fairly big payout. To me, this is a bizarre policy. To me, this is the exact opposite of pay for performance. It's a bit subtle, but I hope the the point comes across. And we actually show this quite rigorously in the paper. Instead of a fixed dollar equity number, you're probably better off with fixed number of shares. Now, we need heuristics. We write academic papers and solve complicated equations. Nobody in the real world is going to optimize compensation to exactly match all the issues that we discuss. 
but at least as a heuristic, if you want to pick a heuristic, fixed number of shares policy, by and large, does a better job of mirroring the CEO's wealth sensitivity to performance than the fixed dollar policy. So, Professor, based on your research, why do you believe that competitive pay policies for executive compensation, as you just described them, are harmful for long-term investors? Well, as I mentioned, a, a lot of the statements and proxy proposals about proxy statements about CEOs are paid for performance doesn't really hold water. The idea that 80 plus percent of the pay is at risk, you know, is frankly quite absurd. If 80 percent of your pay was at risk, you probably won't come to work. And if that's indeed the case, shouldn't you see more variability in the total count? And you don't. Because we follow this fixed dollar equity policy that I discussed, CEO pay is actually less sensitive to performance than it otherwise might have been. An alternate approach, as I suggested, was the fixed numbers idea. There's tons of complexity in these CDNAs, compensation discussion analysis sections. You know, I, I do this for a living and I find it hard. So it's not surprising that this point hasn't been made before. But when I discovered it, and the insight is frankly due to my friend, Steve O'Brien, who's an amazing comp consultant. Uh, and the, the papers go authored with Steve. So I should you know, give credit where it's due. When we had dinner and we discussed this, this is an eye-opening experience. I thought we should write this up because I don't think people are aware of this idea as much as uh, they should be, especially your audience, the state pension funds and so on. So, Professor, based on your research, how does the existence of competitive pay policies, as you describe them, impact the voting recommendations of proxy advisory firms? So we, we looked at this at the end of the paper. So the idea of the paper was twofold. One's to document the prevalence of this policy, and it's quite prevalent, by the way. It's, it's not a 10% problem. It's more like a 70 80% problem in the market. So the next question obviously becomes, uh, do decision makers who look at this, do they understand this? Do they factor this? In? Maybe they do. I mean, it's very hard to know what ISS thinks. I mean, they have a manual and all that. But we looked at their votes. And then we compared their votes to what we believe in the data firms uh, where this competitive pay policy idea is quite prevalent. We don't find any call. So it doesn't look like the, at least ISS, whose votes we looked at, seems to, based on their actions, it's very hard for me to say anything about intent, but based on their vote recommendations, from a correlational standpoint, statistically, there's not much going on, which suggests they probably don't worry about it as much, or maybe they don't think this is an issue, or maybe something else. Professor, in your opinion, what, if anything, should the Securities Exchange Commission do to address the concerns your research has identified with respect to competitive pay policies at public companies? You know, I would say if companies say that they pay for performance, a common sense test and a report of that common sense test is what I would like to see if I were the regulatories are. Here is what I mean by that. So Jeff Mahoney, the CEO, gets an option grant on January 1, 2020. I, average Joe, buys stock on that day. Jeff Mahoney, the CEO, vests the option four years from then, say December 31st, 2024. I, average Joe, sells the share on that day. So look at the return I made including dividends. And let's, you know, we can talk about stock buybacks, but setting that aside for a second. Look at the dividend I made come to, uh, and the stock price appreciation I got during the four-year period. If that doesn't beat a reasonable benchmark, 
you have to start asking questions about why is Jeff Mahoney, the CEO, getting paid? And what might those benchmarks be? You start simple, just treasuries. Do you beat US treasuries? Then you can say, if I, the shareholder, had bought an S&P 500 ETF, did the company at least beat that? And you can go on and on. The worry to me in general is that there is almost too much indexing on Wall Street when you talk about pay. Because if you don't create alpha, which is obviously return minus some benchmark, you don't get paid. In corporate America, there's too little indexation, right? There's virtually none. So one is to add some indexation to the conversation. And second, present tests of the kind I described. Now, I know it can get messy because there are hundreds of grants, so we can come up with some compromise solution where you average all that over time and so on. I understand that every grant may not be able to meet the average of rest, but you know, in repeated observations, when you look at multiple grants, you should see some of this because the, the regulation that got passed in the recent past, right? the SEC put out their uh, pay-for-performance proposals, I don't think it gets to this issue. You know, so if you are really internalizing the shareholder's pain, run this experiment with you. Buy shares on the day the CEO was given the option or the equity grant. Sell shares on the day the grant or the options vest. Look at the return I made as average Joe. Compare that to some reasonable ETF, either Treasuries or S&P 500. Then let's talk about, is this really pay for performance? That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of accounts of institutional investors, I want to again thank my special guest, Shiva Raj Gopal, Tester and Burns, Professor of Accounting and Auditing at Columbia Business School. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.